It's good to be with you again uh, this morning as we take time, as uh, Pastor Taylor shared, to look into God's Word. One of the reasons we look into God's Word is because there's more going on than what we can see. And as we look at our needs around us, as we look at the world around us, we recognize that God is working in ways that we need to be reminded of and that his word is necessary for us to understand, uh, if you will, the bigger picture. And uh, so part of our reason this morning in uh, searching the scriptures is to understand uh, the truths that are eternal even at times when we struggle to see them. Uh, if you were with us last Sunday, uh, we began looking at uh, this issue of this being a new year and whether God would have any uh, insights or guidance for us in what it means to usher in a new year. Obviously, there is a... Um, what would you call that, a solar reality, and that's that every new year the earth, earth has revolved uh, once around the sun. Did I say that right? Every day the earth rotates once, every year the earth revolves, yeah, one, one time around the sun. And so um, th that is a, a, a reality, but uh, what role does that play in the lives of the church today, in the lives of you and I? What role did it play uh, back in the Bible days in the Old Testament in Israel? And so if you were with us last, uh, last Sunday, we looked at uh, a couple of probably more obscure passages of something that God had called Israel to do. And we're going to revisit those real briefly this morning and then journey into the New Testament to see some of uh, where that leads us and guides us. So um, <clears throat> if you have your Bibles, make your way uh, briefly this morning to Numbers 29. I'm going to read from Leviticus 23 just a couple of verses, and then we'll go to Numbers 29. But if you have your Bibles, Numbers 29, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, the fourth book in the Bible. And uh, just briefly, as a reminder of last Sunday and to work our way forward here, uh, in Leviticus 23, uh, God is giving instructions on how a people can live with a holy God. And so primarily, they are instructions on how to make yourselves right with God, uh, the idea of holiness being the, the dominant theme. In Leviticus 23, 23, the Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites on the first day of the seventh month, you are to have a day of rest, a sacred assembly commemorated with trumpet blasts. Do no regular work, but present an offering made by the Lord, uh, um, made to the Lord by fire. And so that's the first mention of what is going to become a yearly celebration on the first day of the seventh month. That's really all that Leviticus says in regards to this day, a day of rest, a day of blowing the trumpet, a day of making an offering to the Lord, an offering made by fire, a sacrificial offering, a day of no work or no labor. And then it's explained a little bit more a little later on in the book of Numbers, uh, Numbers uh, 29. And I need to make my way there as well. Numbers 29 beginning in verse 1. And again, we'll just touch on this briefly. On the first day of the seventh month, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. Very much what Leviticus said. It's a day for you to sound the trumpets. As an aroma pleasing to the Lord, offer a burnt offering of one young bull, one ram, and seven male lambs a year old, all without defect. 
with the bull offer a grain offering of three-tenths of an ephah uh, and the finest flour mixed with olive oil. With the ram, two-tenths, and with each of the seven lambs, one-tenth. Include one male goat as a sin offering to make atonement for you. These are in addition to the monthly and daily burnt offerings with their grain offerings and drink offerings as specified. They are food offerings presented to the Lord a pleasing aroma. We're probably not familiar enough with the sacrificial system to recognize the significance of each of those sacrifices and what they mean. It probably is enough to understand at this point that it is sacrificial to have a small number of cattle and have to sacrifice one to the Lord. That's a significant gift to the Lord. But once we start looking at a little bit of the context that's going on, we can hopefully make some sense of what's going on here. The first day of the seventh month, and I explained this briefly last uh, time we were together, it is the beginning of, or, or the end of the harvest, and what they called the beginning of the new year. Uh, Israel really works on two sort of calendars, or two sorts of rotations, one being sort of a spiritual calendar, and one being sort of a civil, or maybe you'd call it an agricultural calendar. And so they understood that at the beginning of the year, you prepare your fields to be planted and so on. You'd plant crops. Uh, eventually, you'd see them through to harvest. Generally, there were two harvests in a year, and so the first harvest would come sometime in spring, depending on what, what we were talking about, uh, whatever the grain was or the fruit and so on, and then a second harvest. And once that harvest was done, that was the end of the year. And so the seventh month and the first day, actually, in Hebrew is known as the Rosh Hashanah, which is the head of the year or the start of the year. So what God is saying is that the first day of the year, I want you to stop, I want you to rest, I want you to make an offering, a sacrifice, I want you to do no regular work, and I want you to blow trumpets, as the text said, both in Leviticus, now uh, again in, uh, in Numbers uh, 29. Now here's the interesting thing. Ten days later, they're going to have another festival to celebrate every year. As a matter of fact, there's three major festivals in the spring, as God has set up Israel's calendar, and there's three major festivals in the fall. And this is the first of the fall festivals, this first of the year, the seventh month being uh, the fall. And uh, this was the first festival. Ten days later, they're going to celebrate uh, the Day of Atonement. And so if you can remember a little bit about the Day of Atonement, that's when you made a sacrifice that the high priest would make with very specific regulations on the 10th day of the seventh month, would make a sacrifice that would be for the whole nation. And, and that would kind of bring the account up to date. In other words, that was to cover the sins of all the nations, and there were, uh, all, all the nation. And there was a time of, uh, of, of reflection on the sins that had been committed, and there was the correct procedure. And you'll remember, only the high priest could present this sacrifice. And once the tabernacle was built, it was in the holiest place of the tabernacle. And later on, when the temple was built, then this would happen in the holiest place of the temple. And this was that yearly celebration. So here there is sort of this calling attention, and we looked uh, a little bit at trumpets uh, last time together, and, and their significance. And most significance, uh, the most significant issue with trumpets at this time in Israel's history was that trumpets were blown 
And when they first encountered God uh, on the mountain in Mount Sinai uh, as they were leaving Egypt and making their way to the promised land. And it was an awesome experience in the most literal sense of the word. Encountering uh, the living God uh, with with thunder and and with rumblings and and with these these prohibitions, don't touch the mountain because God is descending on it and the mountain is holy. You you have this tremendous encounter which... which, uh, included trumpet blasts, and so that's in their minds that every year they're supposed to sound these trumpets. And we talked a little bit about the fact that the trumpets are sort of a call to attention. They, they would be as well, and I, I even gave, I think, a silly example if I was to, just before I spoke, just uh, ask that, you know, have three trumpeters here and do-do-do-do, right? I mean, that's, it's a way to call people to attention. It would probably be seen as, you know, over the top and unnecessary and so on, but certainly the trumpet instrument does that. So this is a day to call attention because they're called to remember what God has done. And we looked at that uh, last time that we were together. I want to now begin to continue to explore this remembrance of what what God has done and what we have done in our own sin uh, as we make our way to several New Testament texts that will give us some more insight into how all of this uh, fits together. Uh, the, The first idea of what is it that we are to remember, the idea of remembering what the Lord has done, uh, taking time to stop, uh, to do no regular work, to offer sacrifices, to blow the trumpets. Blowing the trumpets is is a call to attention and and, and a call to remember. You're starting a new year, so you're remembering what God has done in the the previous year. In some ways, this is the kind of thing we would do at Thanksgiving, right? We would take time at Thanksgiving to stop and reflect back on the past year. Often you're with family or close friends and, and talk about maybe what the Lord has done in, in your life or, or the life of your family and so on and so forth over the last, uh, over the last year. And, and, and there's a sense of that in this celebration that, that, that the Israelites are supposed to, to prepare for. Uh, and again, 10 days later with the Day of Atonement coming, it, it's a little bit like you're going to spend the next 10 days, even though the Feast of Trumpets is really only a day, you're going to spend the next 10 days recalling what you have done, sins that you have committed, sins that God has forgiven, and the Day of Atonement is when everything is brought together and you, you begin sort of with a fresh, clean slate is sort of the idea of what's being presented. There are several things that help us to see the importance of, of remembrance, and I just want to give you a couple of them as we, as we move forward here. Uh, some of these are going to be quite short, so you don't need to turn uh, to each one, but uh, the first one is uh, in, in Exodus chapter 2, God is remembering the, 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 the Israelites as they are now enslaved in Egypt, and uh, it's an interesting passage, just briefly in verse 24, God heard their groaning, that's the groaning of the people in slavery, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. There is a, uh, a repeated theme in the book of Exodus of God remembering his people and then acting. He remembers their plight, that they found themselves in slavery in Egypt, and then he acts on their behalf, ultimately raising up a deliverer. Um, you'll remember that when Moses delivers them from the land of Egypt, they make their way to Mount Sinai, where those trumpet blasts uh, occur, and then God gives them the law, the Ten Commandments, and then he sets up 
a lot of details on, on the idea of building a tabernacle, a tent for God to dwell amongst his people, and then uh, setting up the priests uh, that they were to represent the people to God. And, and, and an interesting passage, Exodus 28, talking about what the priests are to wear in order to represent the people to God. And we pick it up in verse 11, engrave the names of the sons of Israel on the two stones, the way a gem cutter engraves a seal. Then mount the stones in a, in a gold uh, filigree settings and fasten them to the shoulder pieces of the ephod as memorial stones for the sons of Israel. Aaron, the, the head priest or the priestly line, is to bear the names on his shoulders as a memorial before the Lord. So when a priest was performing priestly functions, the priest would have the necessary priestly garments, including two gemstones, and on each of those gemstones were six of the tribes of Israel. So six tribes on one, six tribes on the other. And literally, the reason for that was the priests were representing the people of Israel before God and literally had kind of their names on there. Not all their names, of course, but the names of the tribes. It would be a little bit like listing all 50 states. It's these, this is who is coming before the Lord. And so God even designed priestly outfits this way, all to represent or, or to help people see that which was really a spiritual reality, that they were coming before God. And so God had the priest dress uh, appropriately. Uh, here's another interesting passage with this similar idea. Numbers chapter 10. When you go into battle in your own land against an enemy who is oppressing you, sound a blast on the trumpet. Uh, then you will be remembered by the Lord your God and rescued from your enemies. So the prescription is if you're to go to war, or if you're being attacked in your home country and you need to defend yourselves, begin by sounding a trumpet and getting God's attention. And so God is trying to give these signs as ways to remind us. And so these trumpets, in this case, are blown to get God's attention. God commands the Israelites on the first day of the seventh month of the new year uh, to blow trumpets uh, to remind themselves, really, to get their own attention. And so trumpets are being used back and forth here. Um, the, the passage goes on in Numbers 10, also at, at your times of rejoicing, appoint feasts and new moon festivals. You are to sound the trumpets over your burnt offerings and your fellowship offerings, and they will be a memorial for you before your God. I am the Lord your God. And so this idea of setting time aside, of blowing trumpets, was a time to, to, to as, as it's described here, make a memorial before God, to, to create something to remember of what God has done. And so that's kind of our Old Testament context for this first day of the year, and the Israelites were to celebrate that every single year. Well, obviously, we're not in the Old Testament anymore. Uh, we are the church, the people of God. Christ has already come. He's died on the cross. He's resurrected and ascended to the right hand of the Father, and we're anticipating his return. So we're not really living in this era anymore. And, and so now we have to ask, that was tremendous, so what? I mean, we're not, we're not going to probably, January 1st of next year, we're not really going to get together and literally bring trumpets. I mean, we might bring the little party ones, and those are good, but, 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 but what do we do with that? And it's important to recognize that the way God designed the Old Testament calendar, the Israelite calendar, actually serves a purpose in New Testament times. And so make your way to Colossians chapter Two, Colossians chapter 2. 
I promised you we'd get to the New Testament. Colossians chapter 2, we're going to see Paul address this a little bit as we try and make sense of, uh, of where, what role these Old Testament feasts might play in sort of New Testament times. Colossians chapter 2. And we'll pick it up in verse 13, Colossians 2, 13. Paul is writing here to the church at Colossae, and he says, When you were dead in your sins and in, your uncir- and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled uh, the charge <clears throat> excuse me, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, he stood against us. I'm, am I reading the wrong passage? No, I'm sorry, we're we're good here. Sorry, back to verse 14. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, uh, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regards to the religious festival, a new moon celebration, a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that are that were to come the reality however is found in Christ so Paul in talking about the work of Christ on the cross having canceled the debt having died to pay literally for our own sins the sins of those who have gone before us and and the sins of those yet to come uh, Paul is literally showing that in the Old Testament, even the new moon, the festivals, the Sabbath, were all, and, and, and look, look at how he words it, verse 17, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. In other words, the blowing of trumpets was to remind them of what they had done and what they were called to remember and so on in the Old Testament, but they also were something that was to come next. Well, when you think of blowing trumpets in the Bible, you can think of Old Testament celebrations like the Feast of Trumpets, but you can also think forward to when the trumpet will sound again. And of course, we're talking about the return of Christ. And we'll get there, but we'll start to see that there is a purpose for those Old Testament festivals to help understand that is which is yet to come. They are a shadow of a certain reality. And that's really what I started to say at the very beginning is that uh, we as believers are called to see some of the things that are going on in the world that we only can see with spiritual eyes when we start to look at how God is working. And so God gives us sort of physical reminders or physical signs to help us understand some spiritual things. Let me give you a few examples here. If you were with us last week, we talked uh, uh, briefly about uh, the idea of a rainbow. And a rainbow, of course, uh, you can see it and your unbelieving neighbor can see a rainbow. Uh, It's beautiful to both. Uh, But as a believer, we recognize that the rainbow is the sign that God has given that he'll never flood the earth again. So we receive rain. God stops the rain by his grace and gives us the sign that says, I stopped it. I didn't have to. I could have just let the rain keep coming. We all could have been washed away just like in Noah's time. But I gave you the sign. The unbelieving uh, uh, person looks at the rainbow and they just see a beautiful colors in the sky. Isn't that nice? They might take a picture. And so you have these physical signs that represent spiritual realities. And there's lots of them in the, in the Christian life. God gives us many. For example, everyone gets wet... 
Christians baptize, right? And, and, and so getting wet is not unique. It's not like only Christians get wet, no one else does. Not the case. Everyone gets wet, everyone uses water, but Christians do it as a physical sign, getting wet, getting baptized, of a spiritual reality, of a new birth, of being washed in, 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 in forgiveness of sin and being raised up in new life. We have imagery, imagery like that in Romans chapter 6, for example. And so we have these physical signs of spiritual realities. Everyone <clears throat> eats bread. Christians do it in remembrance of him. It's bread, but it takes on a special purpose, a special significance, because Jesus called us to do this in remembrance of me. And so bread is bread to everyone unless we do it together in remembrance of him. Then all of a sudden it takes on, well, it becomes a physical sign of a spiritual reality. He says, when you eat this bread, this is my body. And, and what does he mean by that? That means that this bread is literally representing his body. We are the partakers of Christ's body. And as we drink the wine or drink the juice, that it's, we're partakers in his blood. And so we have these physical signs of spiritual realities. Isn't that what prayer is? We ask to bow our heads and sometimes we'll hold hands together, we'll fold our arms or maybe we'll take a posture of kneeling and we go before God and you start to pray and you, you share your heart, what's going on in your life and your family, uh, a heart for our nation, uh, uh, our concern for the unborn, our concern for uh, uh, all those different situations and sins that we see around us and then we're reminded that God already knows what we pray before we ask. Well, why bother? Because prayer is a physical sign of a spiritual reality. It's the way that we talk to God knowing that God already knows what we're going to say. God already knows our needs. And so he wants to hear it. And so God has orchestrated in the life of the Christian many different things that are physical that we can see, that we can taste when it comes to things like bread and wine, that, that we can touch because we're physical creatures that, that have more meaning than just their physical presence. And so water and baptism and bread and communion and, and, and prayer and talking to God are all in, in ways uh, um, physical signs of spiritual realities. Really, love is that way, right? You, you show someone you love them by a, a, a warm handshake, a, an embrace, a hug, a, a kiss. We, they are physical signs of, of ways of expressing uh, affection and, and, and adoration and, 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 and all of that. And so this is what Paul is now saying and reminding us back in Colossians verse 16, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to religious festivals, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. They are a shadow of the things that were to come. And so those Old Testament, learning some of those Old Testament festivals and celebrations give us a glimpse as to what was to come, which ultimately was Christ, who then becomes this fulfillment. And so uh, the first thing that, that we can see then is that the learning of Old Testament New Year's celebrations is a reminder that, that, that we are to be ready for what is yet to come. 
Well, that's an Old Testament to New Testament imagery. Allow me to briefly give you just a few Old Testament passages before we return to to the New. In Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 14, it reads, The great day of the Lord is near, the day of the trumpet and the battle cry. Isaiah 27, and that great trumpet, and on that great day, the trumpet will sound. Zechariah verse 9, the sovereign Lord will sound the trumpet. And, And so you have these Old Testament allusions to when the day of the Lord comes, when the Lord returns, when, when, when all things shall be uh, brought together at a head, it's going to be initiated with this trumpet. And so you start to think about how does that have to do with the new year and us today and so on, and it's a reminder to us that literally this might be the year. This might be the day. And you might say, well, everyone said that, and it's already some 2,017 years since Christ came the first time. I mean, it could be another 2,000 years, and, and it could. It could. But Christ calls us to be ready and with the reminders of, in this case, trumpets representing a physical item, a trumpet, a physical sound that we could hear to represent a spiritual reality. To think, to, uh, to think through on a new year that this could be the year that Christ returns. What, what do we need to get ready? W- who do we need to share? Where do we need to mend a broken relationship? Where do we need to uh, share with someone who's never heard the truths of the gospel? And, and, and so these ideas all play themselves out. Because it's interesting that not only Old Testament prophets, but all through the New Testament, we have this same imagery of Christ returning and it beginning with a trumpet sound. A few New Testament passages for you. Matthew 24. Uh, If you want to join me there. Matthew 24, Jesus' teaching. Matthew 24, and uh, reading from verse 30 and 31, Matthew 24, 30 and 31, then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, Jesus says, and then all the people of the earth will mourn uh, when they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and glory, and he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. And obviously he carries on. So again, uh, Christ returning, trumpet sounding, in this case, angels gathering, right? Matthew 24, Christ returning, trumpet sounding, angels gathering. It's a reminder of when, when we think of what God has called us to remember, we actually have to remember not only the past, but we're to remember the future the things that are not yet happened, but yet he's told us about. One of the uh, most common passages, 1 Thessalonians 4, probably when we talk about trumpets, that would be one that might even come to mind right away. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul trying to give instructions on what is going to happen at the end. Um, 1 Thessalonians 4, Picking it up in verse 16, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we are who are still alive and left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And so you can get a sense of why we are giving these texts. To be encouraged. To be encouraged that there is a day that Christ will make all things new. 
Oh, that that day would be today, that, that all the sin of this world, of, of our own land, uh, that, that all of that would be dealt with, uh, that Christ would make all things new, that our lives would be uh, restored, that we would be with Christ in his very presence. And, and so Paul writes this, and he even tells us in verse 18, therefore encourage one another with these words. And so if you look at that idea of the trump sounding and Christ returning, uh, dead in Christ will rise, we who are alive will be caught up with him uh, in the air. If, if, you, if you think about that, in light of this idea of sounding trumpets every year, as the Old Testament Israelites were called to do, it's a helpful reminder for us as New Testament believers that when it comes to the new year, we can think about that which is yet to come. Most people want to do things like resolutions and they want to change this and do that and accomplish this and maybe visit these locations and so on. We can think even bigger than that as believers. We can think of Christ's work and Christ's redemption. One more, First Thessalon- I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 15. There are several New Testament passages, but 1 Corinthians 15 uh, <clears throat> Paul writing here again, trying to uh, help the church, in this case the church at Corinth, uh, understand uh, uh, sort of the end and, and how things fit together, coming at the very end of the chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, beginning in verse uh, 51. 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Listen, I tell you a mystery. So Paul is revealing what is unknown. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in the flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with, the, with immortality." When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, when the mortal with immortality, uh, then the saying that is written will come true, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, Paul writes, he gives us the victory through, uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, and this is the encouragement that Paul will then give from this, verse 58, <clears throat> my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. What a great encouragement passage to go into a new year. Remember where we've come from. Remember our sin and the fact that that sin is forgiven by Christ. And then remember what is yet to come. Remember the future that has been promised. All tied with the imagery, the physical imagery at this point of trumpets. And then the call. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor, is, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And so our challenge for this year to remember the past, what Christ has forgiven. Remember what is yet to come, that Christ will return and will make all things new. And that one day there will be no more, to use the Revelation passage, no more mourning or sickness, no more death, no more hurt, no more pain. But we will be with the presence of Christ. And then until that day, we work for the Lord. And that's our call for this year, to faithfully serve him to exercise our duties as parents and grandparents and, and, and faithful servants of the Lord in the ministries that he has given us and the places that he has called us to serve. 
and, and, and to remember always the bigger picture, that, that there's more going on than what the newscasts tell us, that, that God is at work and that ultimately all of creation is being held in his hand. Let's pray together. Father, it is just a privilege for us to be reminded that uh, you hold our lives in your hands and you know the future and you know the past. And yet uh, we only see what is in front of us. Father, we pray that we would remember and and think about uh, the sins that you have forgiven in our own lives, that you have been gracious to us, that you have given us more time and more life and that you have then called us then to work for your kingdom, to not labor in vain. And so we pray that we would be faithful. Uh, ultimately, we pray, as the early church prayed, that you would return, and that you would return soon and quickly, but until that day, that we would be faithful to serve you, faithfully doing your work for your honor and for your glory. And pray your blessing on each one here this morning in Christ's precious name, through the power of your spirit. Amen.